Well, the text for for the sermon this morning comes from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7. Last time we were in Isaiah, you will recall, uh, was at the end of August, our last time we celebrated communion, and we considered Isaiah 6 and the holiness of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Uh, our text in Isaiah 7 is some, at least some 16 years later. So Isaiah 6 is, happens in the year that King Uzziah died, and uh, then uh, Isaiah 7 is past the time of Jotham's reign and is now in during the reign of Ahaz, and that's some, some 16 years later. Let's turn our attentions now to God's word as we find it in Isaiah chapter 7. Now it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to make war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told to the house of David, saying, Serious forces are deployed in Ephraim. So his heart and the heart of his people were moved as the trees of the woods are moved with the wind. The Lord said to Isaiah, Go out now to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jashub, your son, at the end of the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field. And say to him, Take heed and be quiet. Do not fear or be faint-hearted for these two stubs of smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of reason in Syria and the son of Remaliah. Because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Remaliah have plotted evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and trouble it, and let us make a gap in its wall for ourselves, and set a king over them, the son of Tabal. Thus says the Lord God, shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is reason. Within sixty-five years, Ephraim will be broken, so that it will not be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Remaliah's son. If you will not believe, surely you will not be established." Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, Hear now, O house of David. Is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Curds and honey he shall eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that you dread will be forsaken by both her kings. The Lord will bring the king of Assyria upon you and your people and your father's house, days that have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah. For anybody who has been following the events in Ukraine and Russia, there likely has been some unsettledness in your hearts. 
may be unsettled that the continual escalation of conflict could result in the United States going to war and the world thrown into yet another global conflict. And yet our unsettledness, while real, is distinct from the fear that is in the hearts of ordinary Russians and Ukrainians alike who are living day by day during this conflict. War is part of the horrible reality of living in a fallen world brings great fear with it. And such was the situation that Ahaz found himself in our text. He was living in great fear. Land was overrun by enemy soldiers. Thousands had been killed. Families had been torn apart as brothers and sisters, husbands and wives were dragged into captivity. Livelihoods were destroyed as farmers ravaged crops, sorry, as soldiers ravaged crops and destroyed houses. The peaceful tranquility of the home was obliterated as houses were demolished. So loving wives had become crying widows. Plain children had become destitute orphans. And yet, this was not simply a war over earthly kingdoms. What we find happening in Isaiah 7 is a war over the very promises of God. The enemy succeeded in overthrowing Judah and killing Ahaz, God's promise to send the Messiah through the son of David would fail. For there would be no more line of David. This war had eternal consequences. And our text this morning from Isaiah 7 is a clear declaration of God's faithfulness amid the chaotic circumstances of life. It is a bold declaration that God is always faithful to his promises, no matter how intense the world may rage against him. And what a faith-strengthening promise for us to meditate on as we come to the Lord's Supper this morning. There are many times our faith is weak when we consider the promises of God. We consider the enormity of our sins and wonder how the holy God could forgive us of all that muck. The devil comes against us and tells us that we deserve no part with God. Our own conscience wars against us as we consider the very real sinfulness that still clings to us. We get discouraged that we are still fighting against our besetting sins after years of battle. And we wonder if it is really true what Paul says in Romans 6, verse 7, that he who has died has been freed from sin. Then we see the circumstances of the world around us and wonder, is Jesus truly reigning in heaven? Does God hear our prayers? Does God not see the immorality of those who have rejected him? The voice of Jesus Christ calls to us this morning from Isaiah 7, declaring that God's word is always faithful and true. As God has promised that the son of David would reign forever. And that promise is reaffirmed in the prophecy of Emmanuel. So let us consider 
Isaiah 7, verses 1 through 17 this morning, heeding the call to believe the promises of Emmanuel. And Ahaz had a fearful lack of faith. We read in verse 2 of our text, So his heart and the heart of his people were moved as the trees of the woods are moved with the winds. This is the type of faith that James describes in James 1 verse 6, where we read that he who doubts is like a wave driven by the sea and tossed by the winds. But what were the circumstances of this fearful lack of faith? By human accounts, Ahaz certainly had reason to fear. And I submit to you that if you were in Ahaz's position, you likely would be very afraid. Reason, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the king of Israel. You'll recall that, that the kingdom of Judah and Israel had been divided during the reign of Rehoboam. And so you now have the kingdom of Judah and you have the kingdom of Israel. Well, uh, Pekah is the king of Israel at this time. And Reason, the king of Syria, and Pekah formed an alliance together and were waging war against Judah. And this war had been going on for some time. It actually started in the day of Ahaz's father, Jotham, but it had been reaching new intensity during the reign of Ahaz. And we know from the books of Kings and Chronicles that Syria and Israel had besieged Jerusalem. And while they could not capture Jerusalem, the Syrians did manage to capture a, a very southern city, the southern city of Elath, which is all the way down on the Red Sea. It also killed many Judeans. We read in Second Chronicles 28, verse 5 through 6, Then Ahaz was also delivered into the hand of the king of Syria, who defeated with him with a great slaughter. For Pekah, the son of Remaliah, killed 120,000 in Judah in one day. All valiant men. 120,000 people killed in one day. That's about one-sixth the population of the city of Oklahoma. And then Zikri, a mighty man of Ephraim, killed Ahaz's son, the officer of his house, and the second in command to the king. So not only has Ahaz suffered a crushing military blow, but members of his own family and household had died. That would be bad enough but it, even, it gets even worse when we start counting up the number of people who were taking, taken away captive. Syria took captives all the way up to Damascus, but Scripture doesn't give us the number of those captives. However, we are told the number of captives that the kingdom of Israel ended up taking. We read in 2 Chronicles 8, sorry, 28, verse 8, And the children of Israel carried away captive of their brethren 200,000, women, sons, and daughters. And they also took away much spoil from them and brought the spoil to Samaria. And to summarize that, the land of Judah has been overrun with the armies of, of both Syria and Israel. While the city of Jerusalem survived those attacks, one of the king's sons had died, and at least 120,000 men had been killed in battle. And on top of that, at least 200,000 people had been taken captive by Israel and Syria. 
Judah is in very dire straits. Humanly speaking, it is in an incredibly weak position. Its army decimated, its economy devastated, and its people and king demoralized. King Ahaz is obviously fearful that he is going to eventually be killed in the Davidic dynasty, destroyed. We read in Isaiah 7, verse 6, that Syria and Israel have, are, are planning an attack against Judah for that very purpose. We read, let us go up against Judah and trouble it, and let us make a gap in its wall for ourselves, and set a king over them, the son of Tabal. If those dire circumstances happen to us today, we would be very wise to consider why they were happening. But as a society, we often fail to consider such things. We fail to consider the reason for the providences of God. People argue that events happen because they do. Nobody takes responsibility, but instead the blame is put upon others, other countries, or even nature itself. The moral implications of actions are not considered because we as a society have forgotten God in our prosperity. We have said God is dead as we have sought the cures for COVID, economic booms for the recession, resources from natural disasters, and peace through diplomacy. We have sought everything but the one we should seek in such situations. It should hit us hard that God brought all these devastations upon Judah because of the sins of King Ahaz. Although Ahaz was a descendant of David, he did not have a heart that sought after God as his father did. Instead, he sought after countless pagan idols. You read this sobering Description in Second Chronicles 28, verse 1 through 5. Ahaz did, Ahaz did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord as his father David had done. For he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and made molded images for the Baals. He burned incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom and burned his children in the fire according to the abominations of the nation whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. He sacrificed and burnt incense on the high places, on the hills and under every green tree. Therefore, the Lord his God delivered him into the hand of the king of Syria. He has, didn't simply have a, a weak faith in the Lord. Reading this, we see that he had really no faith at all. His heart sought after idols. And so his heart and the heart of his people were moved as the trees of the woods are moved with the winds. It's not as though Ahaz can be simply excused for his lack of faith. It's not as though he didn't know who the Lord was. He was not some Gentile pagan. 
He lived during the days of Isaiah, and God in his rich grace told Isaiah to go to Ahaz and bring good news to him. The Lord saw Ahaz's fear and trembling and came to bring comfort to him, even in the midst of his gross idolatry. And consider here the compassion of God as he calls Ahaz to repentance and faith. As he once again calls Ahaz, Ahaz to repent and believe on him. God doesn't just wipe Ahaz off. The Lord's faithful to his covenant promises. And God commands Isaiah to bring his son Sheer Jashub with him as a testimony of his grace. Sheer Jashub, Jashub's name means a remnant shall return. With the people being taken captive by Syrian Israel, what a comfort this would have been for Ahaz. The Lord was promising that a remnant would indeed return. And a remnant did return from those taken by Israel. God sent the prophet Obed to call Israel to repentance for taking their own countrymen captive, their own brothers captive. But Isaiah had even more encouraging words for Ahaz. He calls Reason and Pekah two smoking firebrands. I'm sure a few of you have tried starting a campfire before and will know that the frustration and the disappointment that comes when after all your work of trying to start a fire, all you have are a couple smoking sticks. There's no potential of a fire starting from a few smoking sticks and that's what this means that they were two smoking firebrands they cannot start a fire they have no power they're they're simply smoking they're they're annoyance but that's all there is notice that the lord doesn't even give pika the respect to be called by his name pika is just simply referred to as the son of remaliah the son of, of Remaliah is not even worthy to be called by his name. He's nothing but a smoking firebrand. And Ahaz is to take heed to this. The Lord just declared good news to him. And if Ahaz knew anything about the character of God, he would have known that God's word does not fade away. God's word does not perish. It's not like the grass of the field which withers, but it stands forever. And so Ahaz is to be peaceful. He is to be quiet and calm in response to this good news that the Lord has given him. The Lord goes on to tell Ahaz that the plot to overthrow Judah will not happen. He says in verses 8 and 9 that the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is reason. In other words, Syria will remain in Syria. Syria will not be able to set up a king in Judah. Things will be even worse for Israel. We read that Israel, Ephraim, will be destroyed in 65 years. Israel cannot be victorious because it will eventually be destroyed for its sins. Now, of course, that's going going to seem too good to be true. Here you have two very impressive armies coming against Judah. And the Lord's word comes and says, 
these two armies, well, they're just smoking firebrands. And we can certainly imagine Ahaz hearing this and saying, well, that's a nice theory, Isaiah, but it sounds too good to be true. And to quell such a faithless response, the Lord commands Ahaz to ask for a sign. We read in Isaiah 7, verse 10, Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the heights above. It's important for us to see that this wasn't, Ahaz, uh, sorry, this wasn't Isaiah seeing Ahaz's lack of faith. And Isaiah saying, well, maybe if you go and ask the Lord for a sign, the Lord will give you a sign and that will confirm your faith. That will strengthen your faith even more. No, this was the Lord commanding Ahaz to ask for a sign. This wasn't Isaiah going out on a whim. No, this was God himself commanding, demanding that Ahaz ask for a sign. There is to be no slackness in obedience here. There is to be no option for backing out. Ahaz was to ask, but he sinfully refused. He said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Notice what, what Ahaz is doing here. Ahaz is feigning faith. He's nothing more than a hypocrite. He pretends a warmth of religion, but nothing registers on the thermometer. His heart is stone cold. And Ahaz's response demonstrates that his heart is not established. This is not a man who believes in the Lord. Demonstrates that he is weak and wavers in the winds. Does not trust God's word and chooses fear over trusting the word of God. And there are many who choose fear over trust. There are many today who know the very clear promises in God's word and know the commands in God's word. Yet they continue to allow themselves to live in anxiety and fear. They would rather spend the time and energy worrying, a practice that does not help, that does nothing to help a given situation. However, anxiety and fear and worry sell the lie that we remain in control. It doesn't require faith to worry. It doesn't require trust to be anxious. It simply requires a sinful heart of unbelief. It's a heart of unbelief that refuses the signs of God's word. That says, I do not need signs. I do not need to hear nor consider what helps God has given for my faith. This must not be our response when we observe the two appointed sacraments that God has given for the strengthening of our faith. We must be very careful and diligent in the use of such signs. We dare not be like Ahaz and say, these are not necessary. I do not want these things because they might test the Lord. No, the Lord has given us these sacraments. He has given us these sacraments for the strengthening of our, of our faith. These sacraments are vital for us. This is one reason why in the vows for membership, you promise that you will faithfully observe the appointed sacraments. These signs do not strengthen our faith just by the mere ritual of going through them. They are means of grace which we must receive by faith. By faith we must partake of the bread and the cup and behold Christ's body broken and his blood shed for us. 
Now, hearing of Ahaz's response in Isaiah 7, it sounds like a curious response to us. You might ask, why did Ahaz respond in such a way? Yes, yes, we understand he, 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 he was an unbeliever. He feigned faith, but why would he refuse a sign? After all, what would be the consequence of asking for a sign? Why didn't he just go, okay, I, I asked for a sign from the Lord? Well, the reason seems to be this. If Ahaz had asked for a sign and the Lord had given him a sign, that would mean that he would no longer have an excuse not to believe anymore. He would have every reason to believe. Here we see Ahaz's true heart. He's not concerned about offending God by asking for a sign. He was not concerned about testing God in asking for a sign. Instead, he was content with his sinfulness. He did not want to be given one more reason to obey God. He did not want a sign to testify against his unbelieving heart. He chose sin over faith. There's a strong warning for us in this text. We ought never to choose sin over faith. And yet, that can be a, sometimes what we end up doing. When we are faced with a particular temptation, we know the cure to that temptation is to go to God's word and spend time in prayer. Yet rather than do that, we go and sin. We love our sins so much that we do not want to be given the option not to sin. Be this for anxiety, be this for submission to our husband, be this for loving our wife, be this for the lust of the flesh. We so often choose sin because we'd rather have our sin than the promises that we find in God's Word and the strengthening of our faith that we find in prayer or, or the attendance upon the sacraments or, or the worship services. Ahaz had no faith in God. Here we see the compassion of our Lord and the faithfulness of our Lord. The Lord remains steadfast in his covenant love towards his people. And this is apparent in the Lord giving Ahaz a sign anyway. Ahaz could have refused, and the Lord could have brought judgment down upon Ahaz for his refusal. The Lord goes and gives this sign to Ahaz. And he actually gives this sign to all of Judah. The you in verse 14 is no longer singular, but it's plural. We read, therefore, the Lord himself will give you, you, Judah, you, the covenant people of God, a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. The Lord gives a sign to all his people that they might know that he will never violate his covenant. Ahaz might go deeper and deeper in sin. He might reject the promises of God, but God would not reject his people. God would remain faithful to his promise to provide a mediator for them. 
God would not abandon the promise he made to David in 2 Samuel 7, that there would not fail to be a son of David until David's throne was established forever. Even though Pekah and Reason were plotting to destroy the Davidic dynasty and set up Tabal as king, they were really, yet God would not allow that plotting to happen. For all their plotting, they were just two smoking firebrands. God beautifully responds in to the concern and the worry that would have been with the people of God in Judah by declaring that they would get a sign. A sign that they would not see with their own eyes, but a sign nonetheless. A sign that God would come into the midst of his people by being born of a virgin. The messianic Davidic king would indeed reign. The Davidic dynasty would not fall, but God would be faithful to his word and answer the cries of his people with a miracle, a miracle of a virgin bearing a son. And his name would be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Emmanuel would be a mighty and powerful king. He would have a kingly diet of curds and honey. Before this messianic Davidic king would come, the land would be forsaken by Pika and Reason. Some have used this to argue that there must be some immediate fulfillment of this prophecy during the days of Isaiah and Ahaz. Some have even looked to Isaiah's son, Mahar Shalal Hashbaz, as a fulfillment of this prophecy, considering he appears in the next chapter. However, this sign did not need immediate fulfillment. What we see happening here in Isaiah 7 is is the Lord, in a very real sense, responding to the fear of his people by reaffirming the Davidic covenant. And he, he reaffirms that covenant by giving more information about that promise he had made to David in 2 Samuel 7. He gives more information by saying, Ahaz, do not be afraid about this plotting by Pika and reason. For a son of David will come, and this son of David will be born of a virgin. And you will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. He'll be born by a woman who had never known a man. And this This is one reason why it cannot possibly be Isaiah's son, because Isaiah's son, Mahar Shalal Hashbaz, was born by the prophetess. The Messiah would come from a virgin. Amid Ahaz's faithlessness, amid his hypocritical obedience, amid his hatred for God and his work, God promises to remain faithful to his covenants provide his people with a son who would save them from their sins. Ahaz had that in verbal form, but we have that as God's people in reality. For in Matthew 1.23 we read, So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary in fulfillment of this prophecy. 
And you can be assured as a people of God of the historical reality of that. God's word is true. And though that genealogy, that long genealogy we read prior to the birth narrative of Christ is a testimony to the historical reality of the virgin birth. The Jews would have been able to go back in their genealogy and say, yes, this is true, yes, this is true. This person existed, this person existed, this person existed. And surely Jesus himself existed. And he was born of the Virgin Mary. The last time we were in Isaiah, we heard of the Holy King from Isaiah 6. The question was asked, how can one possibly dwell before the king whom the seraphim cannot look upon because he is so infinitely holy? And how the seraphim cry out day and night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. How can sinful man approach that holy God? Men and women, like Isaiah, fall flat on their face in coming before this God. How can we approach him? The answer is given us beautifully in Isaiah 7. We have the promise that God will come to his people. God will be with us. God has condescended in his rich grace. By not demanding that we make ourselves righteous enough to approach him. Instead, he condescended and came down to us. He came to us as Emmanuel, God with us. He did so that we might have our sins forgiven. Ahaz received a sign. And we have signs before us this morning. The signs of bread and the cup which have been given to us as a declaration that Emmanuel does indeed dwell with us, for his body was broken and his blood was shed. He died as that sacrificial lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. And as we eat of that bread and drink of the cup, we confess our union and communion with our Savior. And we must believe these signs. Our hearts ought not to be like Ahaz's, which moved as the trees of the woods are moved with the wind. We must believe what these signs and symbols represent. They represent that Christ has truly died for us, that Christ has truly dwelt with us, that he is Emmanuel. Ahaz received the sign of the virgin birth, but he persisted in unbelief. That's the sad reality that we'll consider next time. We're in Isaiah in December. Ahaz called out to Assyria for help. Rather trust in the promise and the sign that the Lord had just given him. He rejected the sign and and the nation of Assyria ended up being a curse upon Judah and Ahaz. And so it will be for all those who do not partake of the elements of the Lord's Supper by faith. And so I warn anybody who does not believe to not partake of this supper. 
If you do not believe, you will eat and drink a judgment to yourself, for you are not discerning the Lord's body. There are serious warnings in Scripture to those who would partake of the supper and not rightly prepare themselves. But the signs and seals of this supper are for those who desire to have their faith strengthened, who desire to know Emmanuel more deeply and intimately. It is for those who know their sins and sinfulness, and come as weak beggars longing for spiritual food and sustenance. It is for those who see their sinfulness and hunger and thirst for righteousness' sake. This supper is for those who have no righteousness to purchase benefit with God. It's for sinners who trust alone in Emmanuel. And so let us come this morning to the table of the Lord, believing the promises of Emmanuel. Though the earth be shaken, though the circumstances of this world would shake us, yet our trust in the Lord would remain, remain firm. So let us have our faith strengthened as we look to the one by faith who suffered and died for our sins, as we look to Emmanuel. Let us pray. Father in our God, we come before you and we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us signs, that you gave your people back in the Old Testament the sign of Emmanuel in a time in which it seemed like you were forsaking your promise of a Davidic king who would reign forever. Lord, as we live in this sinful age, we thank you that you have given us the signs and seals of the bread and the cup as the sacramental symbols of your body and blood that you have given these things to us that our faith might be strengthened as we consider our own sinfulness, our own inability to keep your law. Lord, we pray that as we partake of this supper, we too would know that you are coming again, that our faith would be strengthened in the midst of the sorrows of this world, that you are coming again to feast with us in glory. That this is just a, a temporary feast that is set before us. We are awaiting that more excellent feast when you will call us to yourself at that marriage feast of the Lamb. Lord, we pray that you would bless us as we partake of the supper this morning. For we pray in your Son's name. Amen.